0: This is Coda Radio, episode three hundred and eight for May 7th, 2018. and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Why me? Thank you for asking. My name is Chris, but let's not focus on that. No, let's focus on our host, as Mr. Michael Dominic down in the Bayous of Florida.
1: Hello, Mike. That's right, and I'm back from South America smuggling in 10 kilos of pure 100% NCC. That's right, disco sh. ladies nice, and gentlemen. Nice, Here we yeah, go.
0: You know, I got a buyer for you. That J-Bot in our chat room, he's a known junkie. He'll buy that. Well, I don't movie.
1: know, an idiot told you to write in Ruby, but... Oh, <laughs> oh, I know, I know,
0: <laughs> I know. It was a mistake. <laughs> I'm regretting it right now, actually. Mr. Dominic, I'm going to be frank with you. Right here at the top of the show, I might be a bit on the punchy side. I've spent the last four hours watching the Microsoft Build keynote. The Microsoft
1: punchy P- or, or suicidal?
0: No, I mean you know it was good. It was good. There was uh, there was a lot of mention about cognitive services and cognitive cloud and cognitive search and cognitive infrastructure and uh, cognitive
1: bathrooms. Yes,
0: a lot of talk about Docker. A lot of talk about deploying stuff with Docker and uh, several onstage demos of things running on top of Linux. It was. Um, I think you could sum it up. One of the presenters on stage said it, uh it's not your daddy's Microsoft, that's for sure. And it was just a it was a, a bit dull, but there was a lot to it. it. It it literally started at nine AM Pacific. Technically eight AM, the pre show, but nine A.m. Pacific until just now when we went on air, which is noon, a little after noon Pacific.
1: So and I spent my morning, like Dreffer Skilling, at the end of a 90s dive bar. So <laughs> we're coming from two different places. And anybody who gets that reference, wow.
0: I feel like your morning's better than my morning, though. Like, I'm a little jelly nope. of your morning right Decidedly
1: now. Decidedly not.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm really looking forward to today's topic. Uh, there may be a moral to today's story, uh, which we'll get to as the show goes on. But you have done something with this week's episode that is groundbreaking. In 307 episodes, we've never done this. You have combined feedback and Hoopla I have. Now, this is a uh, little bit of your peanut butter getting a little bit of your chocolate. So let's dive into this and let's start off with our friends over across the lake, as Microsoft put it in the Build Conference today, Amazon. Amazon is making a clear path to revenue for skill developers. And you and I both, I think, uh, spotted this story earlier this week. And we're like, hmm, what's going on here? So you guys you guys know that we've talked about uh, Amazon sort of just paying popular skill developers. Like, here you go. Here's a little money. And it's kind of like this unofficial like deal that they were just doing on the side. Yeah. And so today things have changed. Uh, not only have we learned now that Amazon is now quoting a new total skills figure of 40,000 skills for the Echo devices. But they're sort of continuing that developer rewards program and they're announcing sort of an expansion in several ways. Uh, A a general availability in at least the U.S. for in-skill purchases. Just like in-app purchases, these are going to be in-skill purchases, which will allow the creator of a skill to sell content to an Echo user um, via voice. So you get into a skill you like it and then you can add on functionality and services. They've been testing this a little bit. And the the split kind of works out like you'd expect. Developers get 70% of the price paid. Amazon's collecting 30%. But in addition, the company is also opening up the ability for sellers of real-world goods and services to receive payments via Elec- uh, Sorry, the Echo using the Amazon Pay service. Uh, 1-800-Flowers is doing this, TGI Fridays, Adam tickets. So you can buy, like, flowers and tickets in real life. But there's a twist because, of course, Amazon also has the Prime service. So there is a discount if you're a Prime subscriber. Every one of the one-off subscriptions and content will have a reduced price for Prime members. You get 20% off the price if you're a Prime member. And the interesting thing here is Amazon's making up the difference, and they're paying the difference to developers. So developers don't see a cut. Amazon is paying them as if the customer is paying full price. And, um, <clears throat> they're also going to expand the rewards program to just pay to de- uh, skill developers that don't have anything that uh, is in-app purchasing. And uh, Tune in has launched this. They're experimenting with a tune in live service that's 399 a month for echo only listening. So the standard tune in premium is ten dollars a month, and they're offering 3 if you only listen on echoes, which is similar to Amazon's own lower priced echo specific music unlimited service. What do you think of this? That's a lot I just dropped on you. But what is
1: a lot of stuff? I mean, I've read a few articles on this. I like it in general. In I wonder how it's going to do in practice. Right. Uh, But in theory, yeah. okay. I can charge you a subscription. I can charge you a annual price for an app or skill, rather, a monthly service fee for a skill. That's exactly what I wanted. Right. In practice, I worry that because it wasn't available at launch, will this not be used too much? I don't know, right? There's something about uh,
0: the rewards program where they just kind of like arbitrarily decide to pay skill developers that is weird to me. It reminds me of when Microsoft was paying, was just cutting big checks to Windows phone developers to please come write an app for our platform. Here's a big check. Don't worry if you'll never monetize it because we'll just pay you. Um, it's like an odd advantage that these mega companies have that smaller startups will never be able to do. I,
1: I mean, there, there, a few episodes ago, we talked about the commoditization of software, right? Mm. It's almost like they're trying to—I don't know—be the novocaine to that tooth drill, right? I don't—I don't have a mm. good metaphor.
0: I feel like it's more like they're—they're they're attempting to make up for for um, fundamental flaws in the monetization strategy for these types okay. of software packages. So
1: do you think it would have... See, my, my whole perspective is it would have been better if this had launched with even this monetization strategy of subscription. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so yeah, that's my I think my they take. were MVP
0: in like, it, though, you know?
1: Yeah, but once you start with no price and then you want to add a price, you know, that's yes. not where you want to be.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why they're going to have to expand that rewards program where they just sort of, on the DL, pay these developers because that is the bed they laid with this ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Amazon is scary, right? They're all about commoditizing their partners, their vendors. I
0: I think Amazon is 10 times scarier than any of us realize. And uh, the only reason I don't talk more about it is because I don't want people to think I'm some sort of alarmist. But I really, out of all of the companies we talk about, uh, I'd say you know Facebook, Google, and Amazon. Yeah. Concerning, I
1: I just paid for and listened to a screencast from someone you know. Oh, really? Very, very well. An old friend of yours about how Microsoft is buying the Linux community. Yeah, and that's. Cool. I was I was sitting there listening to him and saying, correct argument, wrong company. Well, so Amazon. Yeah. It's Amazon is commoditizing everybody.
0: Now it's yeah. Right? Well, and when it comes yeah. to when it comes to Linux. Yeah, that, that, that whole premise is so off the mark, it's laughable. Uh, there's so many logical fallacies that it's so simple to poke. Oh, no, and,
1: and this guy also sells proprietary software, so it's kind of funny. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I don't think uh, – so the thing is, is – uh, so let's address a couple of those. Amazon and Google are way scarier to the control. Oh, yeah, and Google, long
1: for sure. Yeah,
0: with Android, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, so before we even get to Microsoft, we have to acknowledge that up front. But well, not Android.
1: How about Fuchsia?
0: Right. Well, that's that's where I'm going. Yes, exactly. Right. So Microsoft makes money because they off of open source because they figured out how to open source mon- they figured out how to monetize open source and also serve their existing customer base with open source. That's why they're making money off of Linux and open source. They don't need to control the Linux Foundation and they don't need to quote-unquote slow down development of Linux because they're making bank off of it now. In fact, they talked about stats and build. If you go off of GitHub, there's literally not a company on GitHub that contributes more to open source than Microsoft right now. They get that by default because of how large they are in Visual Studio code and whatnot. It's kind of a BS stat, but they have figured it out more so than just about anybody but Red Hat, how to make money off of this stuff. But now let's talk about Google. Google Google moves the direction of Linux simply by existing at the scale they do now with Android. And one of the ways you can see this is guys like Greg KH have been killing themselves for the last few years trying to get some sort of kernel solution figured out for these Android devices. And we're still not quite there yet. We're working on like these super long-term support versions and Google's working on Project Treble, which is in cadence with this effort on the Linux kernel side. And it is a massive endeavor that the entire head leadership area of the kernel team is focused on simply because that's the direction google's fart is blowing and when they drop when they drop the linux kernel in favor of their fuchsia platform it is going to be like the air got sucked out of the room for Linux. It's going to be the thing that keeps our balloon inflated right now. Now, not the not the only thing, but one of the major things that really is giving us momentum on ARM devices, a Wi-Fi chipsets, and pushing uh, Linux as the standard go-to that people build their IoT devices on. The thing that is really driving that behind the scenes in a big, big way is Google, because from Google comes the efforts by Qualcomm, comes the efforts by Samsung, comes the efforts from MediaTek, comes the efforts from PowerVR, comes the efforts from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? All of those companies are contributing to the Linux kernel simply because Android is based on the Linux kernel. Well, and,
1: and, 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 you know, we don't mention much on the show because I, I don't have uh, any work in Android IoT, but... Android IoT is actually not a small platform.
0: Right, and they just actually announced an update today before Google right. I/O to it. Uh, so I-O. they're continuing to move it. I, uh, I, you know, I don't think Linux is screwed if Google moves over to Fuchsia. And in fact, I think. No, I don't think. So. In fact, I think um, if nothing, Google is doubling down more on Linux when it comes to Chromebooks. So it's not like Google's pulling out of Linux, but uh, when it comes to like who is damaging Linux or who's controlling Linux microsoft is not the one to be worried about it's way more like companies like amazon who uh the 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 thing that the thing that we truly cannot understand and i have a baby understanding of it simply because i have several listeners across the various shows who work at aws and they they try to explain to me the scale of aws but my my dumb little monkey mind cannot fully wrap my head around it but I can tell you that it is numbers that are like nothing we've ever heard before.
1: They are the Titans, right? They're so large, you
0: wouldn't even believe it. One, One region is... Multiple hundreds of thousands of Linux boxes. One little region, and and like and and the, that little region is actually a an entire company into itself that has its own staffing, its own HR, its own departments, technical departments, all of that stuff that will manage that several hundreds of thousands of servers, and they're a subdivision of Amazon, and that's how large there's these these individual areas of AWS. Are bigger than most of the people listening's own company that they work at, right? They're just massive. Oh, they're certainly companies.
1: bigger than both of ours combined. Oh yeah, right? like, I mean these yeah, are I these mean- are
0: huge deployments where they have a stranglehold on vendors like Canonical and Red Hat. They won't admit it because to them, it's working out great. It's actually a pretty good relationship. Amazon right. works with Canonical and Red Hat. They work with Amazon. But the reality is they are a massive, massive, massive what? customer. You hey. could drop Rackspace, GoDaddy, and DigitalOcean. You could take all of if them you're out. you're still
1: using Rackspace, call me.
0: Well, what I'm saying is if you took out Rackspace, DigitalOcean, uh, GoDaddy, OVH, you took all of them out, all, all four of those providers, they still aren't even scratching oh, the surface of AWS. Not even a,
1: not even a tenth. And, the, and a tenth is probably way too aggressive. It's right? crazy. Like,
0: it's The yeah. numbers are mind-boggling. Amazon is, and we don't even talk about it. Amazon's monitoring our purchasing behavior. They're monitoring our streaming behavior. Absolutely. They're, they have a stranglehold on Linux. They push Amazon companies knows, out of the market.
1: Amazon knows when you're in a bad mood.
0: And then think about right. what they do once they become dominant in an area, like with book sales it get very aggressive. I don't have
1: to think you can see it you can see the data
0: right do you remember it's it's it's, it's ancient history now and it, it, we're building to a point so dear audience stay with us but do you remember uh years ago the iBooks lawsuit where essentially oh, yeah. a- amazon antitrust. was antitrust. yeah and it was and it, amazon was 100% in the wrong it was anti consumer anti book publisher what they were doing and they still won yep so the 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 whole premise here that uh, we, the 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 idea that like Microsoft is the enemy is it's basic, it's easy, it's a basic it's bitch stupid. premise. It's
1: not. It's stupid. It's just fucking stupid.
0: Well, it's not Sorry. paying attention to the market. It's basically being stuck in the past and not seeing where the, where the money is being made now. Um, and build the way they, the way they've been doing this over the last few years is they you come up on stage and you might have a Mac. you might be in Chrome. you might be uh, connecting to a Linux box. And, you know every time they bought out a Raspberry Pi device or an IOT device, it was running Linux up on stage. So that's, you know, I, I don't know what else to make of that. I mean, that's that's a totally, totally huge shift. It's a massive shift. And um, so when they started talking about some of the stats for Visual Studio code and .NET core, um, I I was impressed by the numbers, but I was not surprised by the numbers. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, okay, I can see why it's getting traction.
1: Yeah, I I can see. I mean, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, we should move on. So, so PT we,
0: Dave, yeah, yeah. But so kind of kind of connecting into all of this, PT Dave writes in. He says, "I'm looking for a good book or a website." Or a YouTube channel that's really covering ASP.NET Core 2. It would be a plus if it also covered the entity framework as well as some, you know, probably all kinds of additional things. But this question itself, like the core thing, like a good book, website, YouTube channel resource for ASP.NET Core 2. Uh, that actually started a bit of a thread on the Coder Radio subreddit. I responded with a print magazine. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You know what's funny about that? Second person I saw this week recommending a print magazine to somebody to get the answers they want. What the hell's going on?
1: Code Magazine. I'm a subscriber. It's...
0: Codemag.com?
1: I believe that's the URL, yep.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, a few other folks responded too, so we'll have the thread linked at uh, coder.show slash 308 if you want uh, links right to the thing. But uh, yeah, if you also want to go subscribe to... Uh, co- so Codemag, is it is it simply because you're an old man and you like to sit in your armchair and flip pages? Well, I, or- I,
1: I am an old man, right? I remember... You know, there were tons of technical magazines back in the day, right? And now there's like five that I'm aware of? Yeah. Maybe.
0: Also, uh, uh, Jam 163 over on our subreddit linked to his... Uh, Oh, oh, hi there. Hi. Mr. Jam linked to uh, his blog post that explains some of this as well, which is in that thread. Pretty interesting stuff to see people talking about this more and more in our audience, which when we started this show, that would have been a taboo topic. If you think about it, isn't that funny? Like, people wouldn't have been talking about that. ASP on Dakota Radio subreddit? Never. Um, you didn't put it in the show notes, but I kind of want to talk about your review that you did this
1: week. I was trying to ignore it, you, <laughs> dirty, you dirty HomePod listening <laughs> to you best. Oh, man. By the there way, there it is HomePod. Give me a ding. I'm not moving forward. There
0: we go. <laughs> hey, I'm going to maintain best podcast speaker in the industry. <laughs> you heard out of your mind. <laughs>
1: out of your fucking mind.
0: Mono speakers. I mean, if you're going to buy a mono speaker.
1: Mono. Everybody (laughs) loves mono. In Uh, fact, if you get two of them, it's stereo.
0: Now, the question is, are there more HomePod users or Pop! OS users? That's the debate of the ages. But uh, you're actually you're really going all in because you're also doing some traveling soon. You're going to be taking Pop! OS with you. Uh, And this review you did got some traction on our Linux as well as the Pop! OS subreddit. I saw it passed around on Twitter. People are reading this post. Seems to be like you've hit on something that people are kind of interested in, so you you tossed it on your Optiplex seventy fifty. You also tossed it on your Galago Pro. Don't worry, this isn't going to be like a whole Pop OS thing, but. I was surprised at the uptake in the interest in the general internet audience and in your findings. You wrote that uh, it was a good balance between productivity and being visually pleasing. They hadn't; they didn't go off on some weird tangent. Everything was where you expected it to be, but it just looked good. The stock functionality of GNOME is there with just extra spit and polish on top of it. And uh, the keyboard combos that you expected to work all worked. You found the pop shop reasonably pleasing, but sparse. Uh, and I want to hold your thoughts on the whole Ubuntu part and the and if it's for developers for a little bit because that's the stuff that really resonated with me. But yeah, that's back, the stuff. Backing up from there, is there anything I'm, you think I'm glossing over? You mentioned the installer stuff that people are commonly talking about with Pop OS
1: right now, but uh, no, I mean, I, so you, you're kind of making me give away the the milk here. Uh, on the installer, I have a few points uh, that's related to it being for developers, but let's just table that for now.
0: I like the whole. I like that the whole review. It's really from the perspective of a developer. And and that's why I like that a lot is because that's super, super uh, clear in System76's messaging about Pop! OS. This is for developers and makers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is how they're pitching it.
0: Yeah, it is how they're pitching it. Um, but for developers and makers, there's a couple of questions that I've had about Pop! OS that you bring up here that I think are the big fatal questions around Pop! OS right now. So, you start with the relationship between Pop and Ubuntu Core is something that System 76 has not been very clear on, and it really should, because it's worth noting that Pop OS is not an official Ubuntu flavor. And to be clear, there are risks there, um, especially right now. Corora Linux is spinning down, Solus is doing w- well still, but they seem to be kind of treading water. They haven't had, they've just did a release but Ike is pulling back he's scaling back uh void linux founder has gone afk it's MIA, right yeah i mean so being an official spinner flavor is important if it's a developer workstation that you want to use for many years and so you want to know and you want clarification on what the long term outlook is for the relationship between pop and ubuntu i think yes. that's a great question yeah. that anybody in our in our industry is going to want to know
1: well, and, and the reason is, right, like, I, I view running POP as an advantage because it has that Ubuntu core. Um, it lets me avoid, frankly, what I consider subpar Mac hardware right now, right? hmm But the environment I'm running in development is the same, right, because I run Ubuntu servers in production. Right. If that was no longer the case, uh, then that would be a harder choice to make, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um... And uh, some people have suggested maybe you would like more like Ubuntu Mate or something like that, if that And yeah,
1: someone texted or telegrammed Telegrammed us that it was R. Maybe I should look at Arch. But I like Pop. I'm just, and I will be honest, I did get a telegram notification right before we recorded, but I haven't read it from the folks at System 76, so maybe I'm out of date here. Okay. But it's weird to me that it hasn't been clarified what the relationship with Canonical and Ubuntu is, right? It, yes, because... It seems like a question you're avoiding answering on right. purpose. And the problem
0: there is is that their particular demo that they're targeting is aware of these things. So you can't pretend like it's not an issue because the development community is aware of it and would like to know what the answer is. But then you you touch on another part, and again, these are not unsolvable problems. These are not unanswerable. In fact, really, it's just good, clear communication kind of would solve... Both of these, the first one that we just mentioned, now this one. And this is the one that really kind of gets under my skin because System76 has a philosophy that I really like. And it, 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 I don't know if you call it one of their core philosophies, but I think it might be. And it's essentially people can always use more computing power. You know, we don't, you know, you sure. can have really thin, small devices, but you also need to have just the most powerful devices you can possibly figure out how to make in a mobile form factor and a desktop form factor. And I really, I really like that because that's how I feel. And, you know, the the problem with Apple's recent hardware is that they've, they've skewed to thin and light. The problem with Lenovo is they're starting to do that as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I look at like the 280 and I'm just super disappointed from the 270. It's like the trend is not good. And... System 76 has sort of been the standout there where they're going to make you a Galago, but they're also going to make you an Oryx Pro, you know, a Bonobo workstation. So that's what I've always liked. And the issue there is uh, that is – it speaks to sort of geeks and and technically inclined people and people that have a lot of, you know, have a lot of uh, compute resources needs. Uh, But the, the messaging around Pop! OS feels hollow to me. It feels it feels off the mark. It feels like where they would like to be in a fantasy world, but it's not representative of what the distribution is today. And you, you put it into words, and here's what you wrote. You said, the marketing around pop is all about developers and makers. I like the general message, especially after Apple's neglect of the developer community over the last few years. However... There's basically nothing that makes pop really for developers any more than stock Ubuntu eighteen o four or really any other mainstream Linux distro. My hope is that the marketing is simply somewhat out ahead of the of the actual end result um <clears throat> and maybe in the future that'll be more in sync, but I completely agree with your sentiment there that it's it's all about makers and creators and developers. But it is no more. In fact, I would argue it is significantly less than those things that say elementary OS is. Elementary OS has a clear path of development. It has Vala for developers to use. It has tons of existing, um, GUI. Uh, toolkits and frameworks for developers to use and, and employ it in their applications. It has a, a standard template application you can get started with. So everything has the same consistent look and theme. It has very good documentation on their code page. That's, that is like you say you decide one day you want to ship an application on elementary OS. You can go to their website and you can read what, to, what language to write it in, how it should look, where the buttons could go and how to sell it on their store and monetize it. Now that's a platform for developers. It's the documentation. It's the tools. It's uh, it, they're 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 spending a ton of effort on code uh, for the elementary desktop Juno release. They're a t- ton of effort on that. They've been talking about it for six months. They're so excited about it, and it's a tool specifically for developers. That is a desktop created for developers. Elementary OS, way more so than Pop OS. I don't see anything about Pop. You can't you can't put yeah. Eclipse in the repo and say it's for developers. That doesn't count. It's so got to be view, more than that.
1: Yeah, we view this completely differently, right? I don't care about developing for Pop OS, but do you remember? And I'm taking you back about. Oh, I'm not saying years. that you
0: should only for. I'm just saying at least with at least with Elementary OS, there is a path for developers to make applications like that. Sure. Is for yeah,
1: yeah. There's a Vala stack and everything, right? Like it's all there. Yeah. Um, do you, do you but I, I just wanna like cause I'm I'm actually drafting another post, so are I'm gonna give away the bacon here. Fry me some bacon, please.
0: Oh, you are, I got I got a little special coder bacon. Would you like some fry it up? All right, buddy, you got it. Here you go. Isn't that
1: nice. Oh I'll take damn. that in. Yeah. Hearty smell. Where's yeah. this from?
0: I got a little maple, a little maple bacon uh-huh. from the local uh, Savannah Meats butcher. Oh, you bet, buddy. Oh, nothing iron. nothing but
1: the best. I'm assuming Alan had something to do with that maple. <laughs> yeah, I, no. every time he so, comes down, I
0: have him bring it with him. <laughs> so
1: when I, okay, when I was installing Pop, I was re, I, I like the install flow, but yeah. I don't know if you remember this, Chris. The uh, Ubuntu, uh, or rather the Dell Ubuntu Sputnik preview, or even the first release version. Yeah, where they had their profiles. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you could say, I'm a Java developer, I'm a Ruby developer, and during the install, it would pull down the basic packages it thought you would need. Like, that is a very small, and I'm sure people ended up tweaking it anyway, but to me, that's something like, you know what, I do Ruby, I do JavaScript, I do Node, Um, I do a little bit of C Sharp, usually in a VM. Just pulling down the basics of, let's say, Ruby would be a huge time yeah, saver for me. Yeah. Install MySQL for me, right? right? Install Postgres for me. It's something that sounds dumb and is a really simple script, uh, bash script for them to write. It doesn't sound dumb.
0: Think about how many cloud services charge you to do just that, to deploy. But DO ind- does
1: that, right? right. Like, we love Do. It's
0: but, part of a one-click process, and you've got a whole stack.
1: Right, and, and all they're doing is running a container or a script, right? Like, that's really what it is um even that would make more sense you know it 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 really is i mean on the one hand i love that it's ubuntu on the other hand it's a little too ubuntu right like how about you give me some of the compilers i'm looking for right you know what just install some llvm fun for yeah gcc like because these are things i need right or make
0: that stuff front and center in the pop store one click install the entire the entire well, I, stack and right. pop
1: i honestly think that these development stack profiles or Option. whatever right would be the way to go say i'm a i'm a native developer c c++ opsy. give me gcc and llvm and clang and everything else i need
0: mm-hmm. uh, i'm a
1: ruby developer give me ruby rails uh, c++ libraries for nogogiri mysql and postgres yeah I'm a Node developer. Give me Mongo, Node, the C++ backings to Node. You know, right, it's a little thing. I am I have scripts. I'm perfectly capable. It yeah. did install all these things, but it would have saved me a few hours.
0: You know what You know what I would do if I was uh, somebody at System76 who was in charge of this stuff is uh, I would go out and either buy the cheapest used Mac I could find that was modern or go borrow one of the Macs there in the office because I know there's a couple people that have them. And set up an account and start building something. Create an app on a Mac and figure out what's easy and make it easier to do on Pop! OS. Whatever, whatever, like, whatever, you know, like, take a look at Docker, right? Now, Docker is not particularly challenging to set up on Ubuntu, but if you're coming into it, yeah, but if you're coming into it cold, you know, it's it's not super intuitive either, especially if maybe you want, Ah. maybe you want like a GUI Docker management tool as well you know, because you're coming maybe from the Mac. That's Just drink the, f- the Electron Kool-Aid. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, but that could be a one-click pop shop install where you get Docker, graphical tools to manage all of it, not just like sure. the command line, because that's how it is on the Mac. Like, when you download the docker.package file and install it on macOS, okay, you get Docker set. services, you get an automatic updater, you get an icon up okay. in your tray.
1: Yes, you're right, but I've done videos on this on YouTube uh, under Buccaneer. You can look it up. There are issues with that way of installing Docker on the Mac. I strongly don't recommend it. Yeah. You're better off installing Docker through the M package or through brew. That's what I'm saying I'm just, is make yeah. it
0: better and easier. So like it is, it is possible to do a better job than what is happening right now on the Mac. That's exactly what I'm saying. So uh, like, oh, sure. Kitematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why isn't Kitematic installed by default? When you go to the pop shop, you click the Docker thing, install Kitematic, M- you know, make the whole stack available. Uh, I just, to me, it seems like they could do a better job uh, for those kinds of tools if you're going to market that son of a bitch as something that's actually made for developers. Otherwise, market it as Ubuntu polished. Um, because when well, you come at me and say it's for developers and creators and makers, I look at that and go, oh, so that's all hyperbole. You're not actually genuine genuine about your messaging. It doesn't okay, feel genuine to me.
1: I don't think it's... I mean, I want to move on from this because people are going to bitch yeah. on Reddit. But I don't think it's insincere. I think... Like every small business, their marketing is a bit ahead of, head of where they are.
0: I hope that. Yeah. I think that's most likely it. Um, I don't know if that. The marketing is
1: what they want to be. No.
0: I guess. Right. Yeah. I think if you're yeah. going to launch, if you're going to have the audacity and the courage, as uh, some would say, to launch your own <laughs> desktop Linux, I think the right approach is humbleness. Uh, be humble. And uh, under-promise and over-deliver. Right now, I think Pop!OS is over-promising and slightly under-delivering. It's not majorly under-delivering. And this is just Uh. my honest opinion. I think it's a great distribution. I think within their first couple of releases, they already have one of the better, more polished Linux distributions out there. So... They have they have done an amazing amount of work within two releases. I'm not trying to underplay what they're trying to accomplish here, and their installer stuff is legit. Their default encryption stuff is legit. Their recovery partition is a great idea. The potential if you for buy it
1: pre-installed, was, which is kind of a big deal, but keep going.
0: Well, anyway, it's there. Like the potential, I'm starting to see it more so than I ever have. I'm starting to see uh, the rationale. And the potential for Pop OS. you really convinced me last week, to be honest, and uh, now it's just we got to close the gap on this. If, if you if you want to be serious, then be serious with me. Like if you want me to use you as a serious work tool, then you got to be serious with me. You can't tell me you're something you're not because I'm smarter well, than
1: that. One thing I will say is I am obviously a lot more, I guess, sympathetic than you are, <laughs> but. It would. Some of their communications feel very made for the Linux community, mm. not made for the general dev community. Like, don't don't try to shock me with your community engagement because I don't care. Right? Tell me, tell me that you're going to make keeping up with my SQL releases easier. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. Right. Like that. It's weird. There, there's this weird separation where, like, and I was at the Super Fan Event, and I like it was mostly Linux people and I was the one guy we had. the. Uh, can I just, let me take a side tangent here. I know we're running out of time, but so they, they, I don't, I, I won't discuss the product, but they had a product and they were asking for design input. And I gave uh, responses and someone, both of us know, Chris shouted out, Oh, you're just a Mac guy. And I said, no, I just want my stuff to not look like shit. <laughs> How dare! And you that's say. the truth, right? I don't give a fuck. I, I, I honestly don't like if, I would respect them if they said, you know what, Canonical, not only are we not paying you for this, we're not doing we're not calling it Ubuntu anymore, but just say it, right? Just throw it on the gauntlet and say, this is our operating system, this is our platform. Done. Right? No apologies. I would respect that. I I feel like my criticism of Pop, I, I like Pop. On the whole, I give it like an eighty-five out of 100,
0: yeah, right? so were, a hundred. You were you were overall very positive.
1: Right. It's a B student for me, is that they're a little too afraid of the hippie beer community. But look at look at your Linux conferences. Not yeah. too many beers left, guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's very it's very much shifting. And uh, I think you're right, they will get there. Um, I would like them to just have started with a little bit more of humble origins, but I think they really wanted to make a splash. They really wanted to make their message known. And, they are setting they are setting the tone there so
1: you want humility I want them to Ehrlich Bachman style put their balls on the table yeah. so we're coming from a totally different place I here.
0: suppose so maybe and you know what maybe they're splitting the difference <laughs> 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 all right DigitalOcean. let's talk about it for a second do. slash coder it's really some simple scaling within seconds you want infrastructure you go there uh, I, I guess Mike was uh, setting up Digital ocean droplets this weekend I was too I was revamping the JB be DigitalOcean droplet empire. Uh, I was uh, making myself a new droplet. Going to be honest, a personal droplet. But then also, I consolidated three droplets onto one big droplet. DigitalOcean's been making some major upgrades and improvements, and everybody benefits. If you're a long-term customer, you get free upgrades, and if you're a new customer, then you just roll in with the new pricing and the, the new levels of performance. But start by going to do.co/coder coder. Make sure you don't put the S on there because you can get $100 credit when you go to do.co slash coder, and that is so much to work with at DigitalOcean. $10 would have gotten you two months with their $5 a month droplet. My favorite rig is $0.03 an hour, and then I and then I can easily attach block storage to that. I can turn on backups. I can have private networking. I... It, I I had so much fun the other day, because one of the things I've started to do, which just makes it even faster now, is I just uploaded my private keys, or I guess it's my public keys, my SSH public keys, so I can just start popping into all of my DigitalOcean droplets as soon as they're spun up now. I don't even have to wait for the email where I start the whole process of setting up a root account password. Nope, 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 nope. As soon as it's done in the DO dashboard, which is the best dashboard I've ever seen to manage this stuff, as soon as it's done, I'm SSH'd in. I don't even bother with the passphrase. I go keys keys all day. I'm SSHing in like a maniac, and I'm setting up Fedora 28 Atomic Edition. I'm spinning up containers. It's it's just—it's so fast. It's so great. And they're already on top of 1804. They're already on top of the Fedora 28 release. They're updating all of their documentation to reflect the latest releases of Linux. It's real simplicity. They got a dashboard for days, a simple, straightforward API, and now you can try it out with a hundred dollar credit. And man, you know, we, we should probably we should probably be talking about this. DigitalOcean has also just announced Kubernetes support, which that makes it basically like DigitalOcean is just infrastructure on demand that plugs into your existing setup. That's powerful. I know our buddy Alan Jude does this manually right now. When Scale Engine has a big event, like a big live sports event over the weekend, he spins up DigitalOcean droplets on demand just to meet capacity. And he's created quite a cool script with their uh, API. But now with Kubernetes, you can go from 0 to 100 done in seconds. And they just keep rolling out this. They beat everybody. They were the first SSDs. They've got great block storage support. And now they're rolling out Kubernetes. It's remarkable. DigitalOcean, go check them out, do.co slash coder. That's do.co slash coder. Do.co coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this here Coder Radio program, do.co slash coder. Well, Mr. Dominic, what do you think about that Kubernetes stuff? That's pretty slick, huh? Look at DigitalOcean, keep going with that thing. That is That is, uh, you no, know, I'm the still- other guys are going to roll that out as fast as they can. <laughs>
1: Oh, yes, I'm signed up for early access. A little bit of Kate wouldn't be too bad.
0: Mm, the Borg resistance is futile. So let's continue it, it on. It really is. We do have the uh, nominal topic I still hope we can get to about ES6, which I think is really.
1: <laughs> it will be soon. I think we should table it.
0: Do <laughs> you want? Okay. Do you want to? I mean, because the, the feedback kind of leads into it,
1: you know? I mean, that's- the We thing. could do a brief intro to it.
0: Yeah, if you want. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, let me read. Uh, uh, we have Jacob's uh, feedback that I'll get to first and then we'll sort of I take- I call it Haterade,
1: but you can yeah. call it All right, feedback. okay.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Coder.show slash contact if you want to send us in your feedback. He says, hey guys, I need your advice. I'm part of a small code shop in the Portland area. Recently, one of our clients requested that we undergo penetration testing for both our product and our offices. We didn't think much of it. We met the hackers. We defined a scope. And we went on with our lives. Well, unfortunately, less than two weeks later, we received the results of the testing when our development lead got an email containing pictures of every single member of the development team coming from their laptop web cameras. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and then it gets worse. The hackers took our entire office network apart, showing us they had access to our emails, our passwords, and even full access to both test and production databases. Now, the good news is these guys were paid to do this, and they were very nice about pointing out the places that we could improve. But it's scary to think what would have happened if these were malicious people. Mike and Chris, what would you guys know of, of any resources, or would you be able to recommend any places that could offer good training in security? As a developer, I often feel that security is removed from what I do, but I clearly need to get better at it. Keep up the good work. Check up. Wow, that's harsh. Man, that's embarrassing when that happens. I have been in the the, the position of delivering the bad results many times. I have not been in the position of receiving the bad results. <laughs> but I do know how awkward it is for the person that has to tell them. Um, yikes. So advice? The advice is uh, you can't go learn security. Uh, that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> It's, that's really what your problem is, Jacob. Is you can't go learn it. It is a mentality. It is a mindset. It is it is a way of paranoid. Some technology. would call it paranoia. <laughs> yeah.
1: right?
0: Bell for you, sir. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't. So his direct question about like, is this something we care about? I, I'll answer for myself. I don't put anything down in a computer or digitally that I don't want printed in the New York Times. Hmm. I just fundamentally believe that all digital systems are inherently insecure.
0: I think that's a good place to start. Where yeah. you have to you have to try to design your system to collect as little bit of information about your end users as possible, and the information you do collect, that's where you focus on making sure it's stored securely, making sure that system is secure, making sure that the systems that connect to that system are secure, uh, and then making sure your backups are secure. But it's a multi layered thinking. So security isn't one thing. I think maybe Jacob, that'd be the the first thing to start with, is security is 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 many, 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 many layers. It's not just your firewall and things like that, but it's it's how the applications interconnect. It's where you store passwords and config files, i.e. don't. It's what systems are able to talk to other systems. There's so many layers, and they're so dependent on the individual application that if you don't have the mindset, there's almost zero fix. You, you either have to have the mindset going in or you have to have people that are dedicated to it. Uh, getting yourself audited is... Super useful in the sense that it's a great wake-up call to show you where maybe you've been missing. Um, I I would say that is probably the best tool to learn right there. The issue is is that you really need to do it more than once. You need to have multiple perspectives, multiple angles. It's, It's very, very, very challenging. And that's why we see even some of the largest companies we know of today are making mistakes. I think we probably all just saw the story late last week right after I published Freaking Tech Talk, that Twitter had been logging everyone's password to a log file in plain text. You know, I mean, and think about how many iterations the Twitter code base has gone through when it was a Ruby on Rails that fail-wailed all the time. And it's all of the iterations and developers and eyes on that code that they have had for the last how many years. And yet they still were logging passwords for some period of time in plain text to log files. And you gotta figure they're looking through the security of their of their application all the time. Twitter must be a massive target. And so I just I tell you Jacob, don't beat yourself up too much, but you are beginning a long journey. If you can walk that line if you can be a developer who is also security conscious you will make a lot of money in your career if you can really develop that build something around that become known for that and actually dedicate yourself to that that's that's a pretty good skill set pretty employable um i don't know what else to add to that mike but i feel like that's maybe some
1: starting advice i mean i'm still gonna go with my original don't make it digital if you don't want it printed in the New York Times. Yeah, I, I fundamentally don't trust digital technology, which is weird for the host of a show called Code Radio. I think it's a good
0: mindset to have in some ways.
1: You can't, right? Because you old, and uh, give me an N, give me an S, give me an A. <laughs> the problem is you don't control the entire system. Once it hits an IP address, you're done, right? Once it hits your router and hits the public internet, it's over. So it doesn't matter. Even even this whole, like, masturbatorial adventure everybody's having in blockchain is all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You're all wrong. You're just wrong. And, I, and it's going to take 10 or 20 years for you guys to find out you're wrong, but I promise you that you're wrong. What if? Just like the guys using Tor ended up finding out with federal prison sentences that they were wrong. Right? You're all just wrong. Consider, you know, SSL, I don't give a fuck. It's all plain text. Don't worry about it. It, it, everything's public. You write it in a notebook and burn it before you get a subpoena if you're worried about the government. Done. Get it End out of here. Of, yeah.
0: Well, all right. I mean so I've been I've been thinking, you know, for ever since really a lot about this since Edward Snowden, um about privacy, about how what we do online is building a profile around us and so many companies are involved in that, and that so many applications are built to leak data about me. Um Android applications are completely capable of monitoring every network TCP connection your phone makes. Every Android app doesn't have to request permissions, is... Because all it has to do is go. Yeah, that's
1: great. People pay you a lot of money to write that stuff too. Moving on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all you have to do is go catproc and go
1: and go look at the
0: network stuff. I
1: mean, really,
0: really, you've had people uh, you've had people hire you to, uh, to to troll through there and monitor that stuff, huh?
1: Uh, under the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, <laughs> I'm not answering that question. Get
0: some of that good Android hacking money. Good for you, sir. <laughs> Um, and so the privacy aspect, uh, since really Edward Snowden has just, I think we've all kind of had had to come to a new understanding. And I wonder if uh, we might not just be screwed. It's just too late. And in a way, maybe we're going back to how it's always been. If you think about humanity in small tribes, in small little groups, uh, there probably wasn't a ton of privacy. You know, if your shat stank, people could smell it. If you're fucking your neighbor's wife in the tent next to you, they can hear it. Um, you know, reputation
1: and what it depends on who your neighbor is, but keep going. But you know what I'm
0: saying? Like there is perhaps, perhaps we are actually just returning to what is a normal state for our species. And that is no privacy. Everybody knows everything. Everybody's making judgments. It's some sort of instinctual survival thing. I'm not saying I like it. Um, and I'm not saying I don't want to go live out in the um, Arizona desert somewhere in my RV, but I think maybe, What we are watching, what we are witnessing, what our generation is witnessing is this integration of technology back into our lives, which hyperconnects all of us, which makes one giant tribe out of the world all over again. And as a result, all of the little things that come with living in a tribe are are surfacing at a global scale, as like they like to say in the Microsoft Build Conference, at planet scale. And I know this sounds super douchey, and and it sounds like I'm being anti-privacy, I'm not. I'm just saying perhaps we've arrived at a new reality where we are once again part of a giant, giant tribe and we just no longer have the benefits of being isolated little individuals in our boxes that are perhaps connected by a newspaper and a telephone.
1: Uh, I, I don't know. You're, you're so wrong. It's unbelievable. OK. Well, I hope so. OK. Yeah. Like it. it OK. You're gonna bait me. I, I feel the trigger, and I'm trying to resist it. Well, I just, I, what, I,
0: well, the point I'm trying to make is, uh, you, you don't really see this trend reversing. Google isn't gonna stop monitoring. it's like,
1: not different than it always was. Just the the factors of power are different, right? Hmm. Okay. All right. The the working people always get screwed, and the people with hereditary money always win. Right. That does seem to be- You and I, you and, you and I see this in our business. Let, let's just fucking do it. You and I see this in our businesses. Ow. I lose to ThoughtBot because they have money. Yeah. You lose to NPR right. and that other company who just bought Pocket. Yeah. They're going to yeah. bury you, Chris. You yeah. know that, right? You're fucked. <laughs> I think like, so. You're done. Probably. Right. You have maybe a couple of years left. Yeah, so Unless everybody
0: goes right now to patreon.com. dot
1: com. It's Right? <laughs> it, it's so weird that you're so accepting of this. Like, oh, no, I know. Like, I, I've, I no, I, this no, shouldn't be put.
0: No, I. It is. I am so screwed. Podcasting is going through like a Bitcoin bubble right now. Everybody, it's, it's not just podcasting. Podcast.
1: Right? The, the reason, and I'll use myself because it's a little mean to attack you, but like, I know. I feel the like, I feel like the bigger, podcast wave.
0: I feel like the podcast wave right now that we are witnessing is much like the early App Store wave.
1: Yes, it's the same thing because they can use money and these uh, algorithms and these technologies to find customers where I can't afford to do that
0: right yep.
1: and that's what the, and that's what this uh, these uh, have you I'm sure you're aware of it more than I have maybe you can explain it dynamic advertising and podcasting oh yeah Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. That's yeah. what Pocket Cast purchase is all about, if I'm I, not mistaken. You
0: are so right. It is 100% about dynamic insertion of ads. It's about data testing. So you need metrics. You have to have metrics in the player. So we need Pocket Cast. Me, not – I don't need these. But we, being NPR and the group that just bought Pocket Cast last week, they need that data so they know what ads are selling well. Because while we – our ad numbers might be – like the dollar numbers might be in the – low single-digit thousands, <laughs> their ad numbers are starting in the hundreds of thousands up to the millions. That's, that's the kind of contracts that they're selling when they sell ads on an NPR show. If you've, say, listen to The Daily, which is from The New York Times, you'll hear an ad at about the 15-minute mark. If you listen to Radiolab, it literally opens right now with three ads that are called billboards. Billboards are ads that start right before the content. They're the premium price. Jupiter Broadcasting no longer has any billboard ads. Last used to open up with this week's episode of the Linux Action Show is brought to you by DigitalOcean, Right, that's you're probably familiar with those types of ads, um, and we've we phased them out. I'm not totally against them, but we phased them out because they're they 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 they're a premium product, and we don't sell those right now. But a lot of podcasts like NPR, like uh, WNC, like the like the folks at Radiolab and This American Life are. And they need to prove to the advertiser that you're listening to those ads. Because when you're talking a couple thousand dollars, then the promo code is enough. You know, If you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, that's all that Linux Academy needs to know that you heard the ad. They don't need to know who you are. They don't need to know anything else. They just need to know that some of you went to linuxacademy.com slash coders. But if Linux Academy was paying me $2 million to say that, they'd want to know for absolute certainty that you listened to that entire ad. It's just the, it's the, it's just the way the business works.
1: Right, but don't you feel like, I just want to bring this back to developers in particular. This is, and we totally went off topic. We'll use the doc for next week. But I've been bitching about the corruption in the development industry from not just simply charging for software licenses or for installs, Right. This is the ultimate form of it. I didn't mean to just, you know, call you out, but like, this is it. This is yep. literally its craziest, yeah. evilest form. Here we go. Yeah. Right. Charge money for software, guys. It's a clean relationship. Pay with money, not your soul. Done.
0: All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you. Um I think it actually is pretty relevant because it, you, it's you can map experiences from previous industries onto emerging industries and market trends, and generally have a decent prediction as long as you're not uh, religious about that mapping. And so, I think it is actually worth bringing up because you can see it happens over and over again. Now, I've got a few ideas. Um, I've also I've also made some long term choices that I think have positioned us well, but we'll see. We'll see where it plays out. You know, uh, Jupiter Broadcasting as it exists today. It may not be the same entity in a year from now because I'll have to respond to the market, but I've-
1: He's merging with ATP, called it.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the APT Network. My name is Chris, and we're happy to host the Accidental Coding Podcast. No, I don't think it'll be that.
1: I just uh, threw up in my mouth. <laughs> All
0: right. Let me just say this because I mentioned earlier, linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's the one with the S. You go there, you get seven days free access to the Linux Academy platform. Everything about Linux or that runs on Linux or runs Linux, you can learn at Linux Academy. That's great for your career. It's a wonderful resource with self-paced, in-depth videos on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. They have hands-on, scenario-based labs that give you real experience. And this is something that they they spend a lot of time working on. So you can choose, say, Debian or, or Red Hat Enterprise Linux or Ubuntu. You choose that. The courseware, the virtual machine, all of it adjusts for you. So that way you can learn exactly what you need. They have a course schedule that works with your busy day, worth your busy week, and they'll set up learning goals. They'll send you email reminders about quizzes. Speaking of quizzes, they have practice exams and quizzes if you want to go get certs. And they have, they have courseware that has been specifically crafted for certification training, which is really nice. And then they also have a packed community. They have study tools, like you can listen to audio lessons offline, maybe while you're driving or if you're going to go like, on a long road trip, like I'm about to, it's great for that. It's, it's, it's a resource that if I could have fantasized about before I started Jupiter Broadcasting, I, I may have gone this direction, especially the way the podcast industry is going. I may have gone this direction because they had a mission. They wanted to teach more people about Linux, which is why I started the Linux Action Show. They love open source and the Linux community. So they've they've built a business around hiring Linux enthusiasts and geeks. And they've created full-time instructor mentoring positions. Think about that from a business standpoint for a moment. We talk about that all the time on this show. They have full-time topic experts on these massive industry topics. That is a huge investment on Linux Academy's part. To have topic experts that really know their stuff, sitting around full-time, updating content, keeping things relevant, generating new content, helping you when you have a question, that is an advantage that only Linux Academy has because nobody else has been willing to make that investment. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there. Try it for free for seven days. Start up a course. See what you think. And then stick around. The month of April was huge for Linux Academy. They added 70 new courses and challenges, and they're adding new stuff all the time. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Do you want to keep your uh, your pick of the week for next week, too, since it's sort of all JavaScript-related? This is what happens. We should just do a two-hour yeah, show.
1: Okay. We, should, we should do a two-hour show, although I think you and I might walk off a short uh, here if we did that. <laughs> So I, you know, I, I want to reframe our show today, though, because I don't want people to leave too sad. Okay, it, it's okay if Chris and I get killed, right? The dinosaurs have to go. It's what happened. I mean, seriously, I, I'm, I'm making a joke, but really, Chris, we might just be old guys.
0: Yeah, in a way, I feel like I'm more connected to what you're saying than I ever have been.
1: Uh, I was having right because you know what. It, it, I, I would. Sh- I mean, I don't know if you've ever perceived this, but sometimes I listen back to the very early episodes, and you kind of like, okay, Mike, it's gonna be fine, right? Like mm-hmm. talking me down, like you're talking to a crazy person with a gun. <laughs> now I feel like you're drinking my Kool Aid. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I'm. Watch- you know, it's it's so when you're inside an industry, you get insights into it in a way that when you're outside of it, you just don't simply see because you're not connected to all of it. And so, uh, for two years, I've been watching uh, the American public. Uh, Started two years ago, it was at 24% that the American public knew about podcasting. Two years ago, 24%. I was like, damn, 24% plus that's just inside the States, right? So you take that outside the world. That's a, wow, I am, I am, I am really in the right business. That's a huge audience. Then it, then it creeped up. To forty percent, and now now it's over the fifty percent mark. And every day I go on Twitter, I see somebody else launching a podcast. Every time I'm watching some news, I see some new senator, Barbara Boxer, launched a podcast. Um, Mike Morrell, the former CIA director, just launched a podcast.
1: That's an interesting dichotomy there: CIA director plus podcast. Yeah. What are we talking about today? classified. <laughs> I know, right? Like, uh, um, An hour and a half of redacted. It's
0: so like, I was, I found out there's some like, uh, you know, Texas newspaper that has like 10,000 readers and they have a podcast that has 30,000 listeners, you know, and, like, it's mind boggling how many people are getting into the business. And, uh, it really got accelerated when NPR or uh, NPR got all in and cereal oh, a major play, yes. yeah. And when yes. Serial launched, that really, yeah.
1: And so I've, I mean, I've watched it really. I exploded. feel exactly the same about like being an indie dev shop. Yep, it's I'm an indie podcast. Yep, yeah. The world is so different that it's. It's and just I, hard. I was
0: for the last two years I've been hoping that crowdfunding on Patreon would take off, but what I have learned there is that the the crowdfunding is is supremely susceptible to the mood of the internet. So when patreon um, you know like uh, kicks off some right wing or left wing um, content creator, I, I lose I lose 30 patrons. Uh, when they have a password issue, I, I lose 30 patrons. If uh, a couple of years ago uh, my uh, my ex-wife and I decided to have a, a, a an amical split, uh, I lose 120 patrons. Um, if lost I,
1: patrons for having an amicable split?
0: Yeah. Oh, I, in fact, the, the, I lost more patrons over my divorce with Angela than I lost over the end of the Linux Action Show. 100%. No doubt about it.
1: I buy that. I like Angela better than your former. (laughs) Well, you know,
0: you'd think actually people would be resubscribing because she and I are still here. We are, what, three years after divorce? Doesn't she still
1: do Tech Talk Today?
0: That's her, her, right? She's still here running the operations of the company. We're still doing shows together. She sends
1: me shirts and
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, 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 no. Got a divorce. You you lose hundreds of patrons, literally. So I've I've learned it's finicky. I am. And what I've also learned is the people who stick with me. I am so supremely thankful for them, like the people that have stuck with us on our patron pages. I am. I I, I, but I feel like they're the minority. I, I we're not really going in the right direction. Um. And, you know, and to a degree, I completely understand we spent the last year or so spinning down our video shows, which is going to disappoint a portion of the audience. But I think that the audience doesn't realize how precarious the situation is. Um they because they're not watching the industry in the way that I'm yeah. watching it, and they don't see the yeah. change in the way the ad structure works. the fact that these sponsors not ours, but these large sponsors are wanting more and more data they're wanting to know exactly who you are where you're listening, that even like the g p s information off your phone while you're listening and it's you know, it's getting dark, and I'm this, really upset about this pocketcast acquisition because I think it's going to accelerate this okay, problem no
1: that is that is a nightmare like i I'm honestly worried about everything for that right like that's But like, this is a conversation I have at relatives all the time. Like, wow, you, you know, you own your company. That must be great. It's terrible, right? Like, you know, when you just work at a place, you don't see the wolves at the door, right? You don't see, you know, the client from two years ago, who's mad at you for something. It might like decide to see, you. you don't see the employee who's going to like not show up to work, right? You don't, or frankly, the general business trend of like outsourcing or the bigger shops getting bigger at the expense of the smaller shops right yeah yep like it's the same for podcasting it really is it's almost an exact mirror mm-hmm. the bigger podcasters <laughs> getting right like it's unbelievable how yeah yeah so there's an island called tuxia so you should just go there be done
0: <laughs> uh, yeah you know as uh, Cora work is pointing out in the chat room some people can't help out on crowdfunding because just Times are tight, and that's that's more and more common these days, and we totally understand that. That's never something that uh, upsets us, because that's just part of having a crowdfunding platform. We have that same thing, really. I support a lot of content creators myself, and I haven't scaled back, but I haven't added any new ones for months, because times are tight. Uh, and I think that's normal. In fact, I wouldn't want anybody supporting the network that wasn't comfortable doing so. But I think that is also something to consider when it comes to crowdfunding, and what some of the often less talked about uh, pros and cons are of trying to crowdfund your work. It, you you got to niche down, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you can niche down, but eventually you're going to niche down somewhat th- till there's nothing left, yeah. right? You're just going to be stranded in the void.
0: Yeah. That's on the, that's in the back of my mind. That is in the back of my mind. is that. But I feel like open source and Linux, uh, because it is an area that I'm inherently passionate about myself, I, I tend to stay very well versed in it. And it is a niche that I think is It's not underserved, that's for sure, but I don't know if it's properly served. Um, We'll see. sort of a long-term bet, but uh, yeah. I am sort of prepared for anything to happen, and I am strangely okay with it. I think one of the things I have learned in life, what often seems like it's going to be the worst thing ever, develops long-term into something great that I never could have foreseen. And so even if it means the end of my business or if it means that podcasting is owned by big podcasting and you got to be all in on data collection and it means violating my morals, I actually still think another window will open up. You know, when podcasting closes a door, I think it opens a window, Mike. Why don't you tell people where they can get a little more Dominic in their life or what you're doing?
1: Uh, Follow at Dumanoko on Twitter. I'm sure I'll be complaining about my travels. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to a full report on how all of the hardware and software held up on your trip. Plus, we've got a whole bunch of notes and links about JavaScript, the future of it, and some tools you can use, which we will be getting into very soon on a future episode of Coder Radio. At some point, we're going to talk about it. Some point. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for checking in with us. Go to coder.show slash 308 for links to everything we've talked about. And why not join us live on Mondays, where if you want to add something or don't like what we're saying, you can yell at us in real time over on our irc.geekshed.net pound Jupiter broadcasting channel. Thanks for being here. See you next week.